0: Good morning, everybody. So, yeah, this morning's talk. um, Obviously, we've been doing a whole series on lessons from different people or different stories in the Bible or different events in the Bible and seeing how they relate maybe to who we are, um, how we handle this particular situation that we're in. And this week is the last of um, that series. And we're going to be um, doing something else next week. We're going to listen to all of your stories and then after that, we're starting a new series called Standing in the Rubble, which we'll bring more to you about. But this week, our talk is titled Lessons from the Plan B, Nobody. And um I the reason we've chosen this is um because there's a whole bunch of stories in the Bible, right? Um, you know, there's all the famous characters that we know about, you know, there's Jesus and there's David and there's Paul and there's Abraham, and there's all these famous um, characters that we know about, but there's a whole bunch of um, characters that are less famous, maybe, more um, understood as such, there's, um, but, but these stories are fascinating and incredible, and sometimes a bit weird, and there's a, and, you know, it's not, um, you know, we might read fairy stories today, we might read um, Harry Potter stories, but actually there's just as much crazy stuff Um, in the Bible. There's a talking donkey who has a master called Balaam. Um, So that whole story is called Balaam's ass, which is a little bit weird, isn't it? And then there's a guy called Ehud, not a very famous character in the Bible, but he um, snuck into the king's quarters and killed him with a sword, and the sword plunged and the king was so fat that he'd lost the sword in the fat of the king. Anyway, left him, left him for dead, snuck out through the roof. And that was his story. And then there's another story about a guy called Eutychus who's in the New Testament, who's, and um, this is just a little cautionary tale for you guys. Um, the sermon he's listening to is so boring, he falls asleep. He sat in a window cell, falls out the window, down three stories, and dies. So just be careful where you position yourself when you're listening to this talk. But the story I want to talk about um, today is the story of Hagar. And you might, now, if we were all together in the game, I'd kind of go, so who's heard the story of Hagar? Maybe, I don't know, I don't know what sort of percentage of people put their hands up. Maybe 20%, maybe 30%, maybe more, I don't know. But Hagar is a fascinating character. There's a reason that I want to talk about her. And we read about her in Genesis 16. It says this, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Okay, so this is Abraham and Sarah. And um, Abraham is a very famous character. He's the father of Judaism. He's the father of the faith. Um, But Abraham and Sarah, and God's promised them they're going to have children. And it says that Abraham's wife hasn't borne him any children. And she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, anytime you read Egyptian in the Old Testament, that's trouble. OK, so, um, yeah, we, under, we find out later that the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. Well, then it talks about maybe that they're doing arms trading and, and stuff with the Egyptians. Egyptians are always troubled. But this time, the Egyptian is the slave. Right before the whole Israelites are the slaves in Egypt, the Egyptian is the slave. Um, and that's just a little warning, just a little um, hook that we should read, as understand as we read the scripture. There's a, there's a problem here. And she said to Abraham, um, Sarah said to Abraham the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave perhaps I can build a family through her I guess that's a use of slaves and um, no, no question of whether this was something that Hagar wanted or anything like that but just go sleep with her it would be fine and maybe you can have a child, a child through her because Sarah viewed her as her property and so any child that she might have would be Sarah's not Hagar's, and it's that hugely disempowering narrative that we so um that we see going on. So Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. And so after Abraham had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. This is all your fault. Which <laughs> Abraham, the, in your picture by a little bit, Abraham goes, what? Anyway, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. This is all your fault. Um, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Isn't it interesting how we... Uh, when things go wrong, um, sometimes we use God for our own purposes or to justify our own mistakes or to um, we use God as a bit of a power play like Sarah's doing here. Oh, let God be the judge between us. Yeah, let's, let God decide. But this is Sarah's mess of her own making. She, she came up with this plan B, and that's what this is. This is a plan B. Okay, the plan A isn't working. God said he'd give us a child, but that's not working, so here we go. Um, let's try plan B. Let me take God's plans into my own hands, and then let's blame God when it all goes wrong, and blame her husband as well, of course. Um, may the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, said Abraham. Go with her, whatever do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. So this poor Hagar is being used as a just as a piece of property, as a, in, in that she's being passed around, she's my slave, but I'm going to give her to you, and then it's your fault, where well, it's not, she nothing to do with me, you do what you want with her, and she's just being passed around, she's a nobody in this story. And so she runs away. She can't deal with the mistreatment anymore. And for a slave to run away is a pretty serious um, business, um, anything could happen to them, but she flees. And then, as she flees, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Isn't it fabulous that God uses this phrase? God's going, oh, "I used to be a wild dog here man." It's kind of very um, colloquial sort of God there. But anyway, I love it, I love it. I love the phrasing. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, "You are the God who sees me." For she said, "I have now seen the one who sees me." That is why the well was called the Allahha. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham's son, and Abraham, Abraham gave the name Ishmael. What a story. What a story. Now, what's really interesting in this story for me is a number of things. Hagar's a bit part player. She's not, she's not the center of the story in some ways. You know, Abraham and Sarah are the heroes of the story. And Hagar is the problem in the story. So Abraham and Sarah they're the they're the father and mother of the faith. They're the they're the people we're cheering for in this whole story. They're the people who God's interacting with and, and showing up for and promising that he's going to give them all these descendants and they are the ones, you know, they they're the they're the they the origin of the Jewish faith. The origin in many senses of the Christian faith therefore in that sense. They're the fathers of the faith. And so they're the heroes of the, of the story. And Hagar is clearly framed as a problem. Now, when I was a child, I remember, um, I remember this story. And I remember kind of thinking, what's God doing here? Like, what's he playing here? This is really weird. Like... Abraham and Sarah, Then, the whole plan here is they're going to have the child and is then going to become this great family, that's then going to become this great nation, and that's going to become Israel. And then that nation um, brings birth to Jesus, and then Jesus brings the gospel for the whole world, out of which comes Christianity, and that's the plan. And Hagar, what's she doing? Because she's messing it up. And why is God saying to her, oh, it's all right, Hagar, I'm going to give you those of descendants? Because loads of the problems in the world are the the enmity between the different religions. We've seen wars fought between different religions, between Christians and between Muslims. And Hagar is the mother, therefore Abraham is the father, of the um, faith of Islam and some of the other faiths that we see. And so we kind of go, what is God doing here? Why is God choosing to bless her and to bless her offspring god's purpose is supposed to be blessing abraham and sarah and their offspring and hagar is the problem and surely god could have avoided a whole bunch of problems if he just like dealt with hagar differently that was my view when i was a child when i was a teenager when i read these stories of young kind of go what's god playing at?" because hagar is the problem like if hagar wasn't yes he was sarah's mistake and sarah shouldn't have done that but hagar's the problem here and therefore ishmael's the problem Hagar is the plan B, because plan A was too long in coming. They waited 10 years, but they couldn't wait any longer. So Hagar was the plan B. Ishmael was a mistake. And I don't know whether you um, ever feel like that about your story. Do you ever feel like, yeah, God's, God's clearly working through these people and these people, but I'm just a bit of a problem? God doesn't really. I don't know. I think this whole thing would be better off if I wasn't around. I think the whole church would be better off if I wasn't around. Maybe the whole, maybe a whole bunch of people would be better off if I wasn't around. Like maybe I'm the problem, and maybe, maybe the narrative that you've been given by in society or by your family or by your church even or by by your community is, like, oh, you're a bit of a problem. Like, uh, well, I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, you're very welcome. You're very lovely. Well, then, hey, guys, your story, maybe. Maybe your life took a bit of a plan B turn. Maybe you thought you knew what God's calling was for your life or you thought how you knew how stuff was going to work out and there was all this plan A and it was going to be glorious and it was going to be beautiful and it was going to be full of success and it was going to be full of amazing miracles and whatever and that just didn't pan out and now you find yourself in plan B and you're sort of a bit ashamed of it. And it's not quite how it was meant to go, and it's all a bit disappointing, so we don't really talk about it. And maybe you made some mistakes, and you feel like it's disqualified you somehow, you feel like it's um excluded you somehow, you feel like it's written you off somehow. Maybe people blame you for the mistakes that you made, or maybe people blame you for the mistakes that they made, and you're just the convenient scapegoat and like maybe you you don't think. You necessarily made a mistake but it just seems like it's easier for everyone else to think that you made a mistake and then they don't have to think about their mistakes and maybe he goes your story maybe he tells your story maybe you feel a bit invisible maybe you feel like you just passed around and you don't really matter and no one really sees you and no one really cares about you and you're a bit anonymous and you're a bit invisible and maybe hagar is your story you see the problem is like we like to read things in the narrative like we like to you know abraham and sarah they're the heroes of the story they're the they're the main characters they're the protagonists in the in the movie they're the they're the stars they're the love interests they're the whatever in the story in in the movies and they're the people that we're cheering for and Abraham and Sarah don't behave very well in this. They mistreat Hagar quite a bit. And um, there's a lesson for us here that maybe heroes aren't always heroic. Maybe the people who are supposed to be on our side, maybe the people who are supposed to be the heroes in the story, maybe the people who are the leaders of the faith or the, um, the, the heroes of the family or the leaves of the family, whatever, maybe they always haven't behaved the way that they should behave. Maybe they haven't always been heroic. Maybe you've paid some of the price for that. And that's not right. And that's not right. And maybe you feel a bit invisible. Maybe Hagar's story feels a bit like your story. You see, I think the Bible's full of plan B's people. Characters on the edge a little bit who get chewed up a little bit and spat out a little bit. Um, don't seem as important. But what we see going on here is something beautiful, something profound. Because she can't put up with the mistreatment anymore, she runs away. I'm done. I can't be dealing with this anymore. I'm out. But as she runs, she's she meets God. She meets the angel of the Lord. And there's this profound moment where she's asked this question. Where have you come from and where are you going? What a question is that. What a question for each of us. Where have you come from and where are you going? If you take nothing else out of this talk this morning, whether you liken yourself to Hagar or or not, or whether you're more of an Abraham or Sarah or whatever, what a great question for all of us to take away. Where have you come from? And where are you going? If we all spent a bit of time thinking about that this week, that would be something. But what's really interesting here is this is what God asks her. Hey, God, where have you come from? And where are you going? And he goes like, well, I'm running. I'm running from, my, I'm running from Sarah. I'm like, She's mistreating me, and I can't put up with it with anymore, and I'm just running. See, she answers the first question, she knows where she's come from. She's running away. She's out of that, she can't put up with it anymore. She doesn't even begin to answer the second question. And how many of us are in that situation? Maybe we know what we're not. But we don't know what we're coming, what we're moving into or where we're going. Maybe we know where we've come from, what we're running away from, what we're getting away from, what we're leaving behind, but we don't know what we're moving into, where we're headed, where we're going. And that's Hagar's situation. She knows what she's running away from. She has to get out. She has no idea where she's going. And God meets her right there and says, look, Hagar, I know who you are. You're Sarah's slave, and I know what's happened to you, and I know what's going on. And here's where this is going. And prophesies over a future and says to her, Look, you're going to have this child, and I'm going to bless this child, and this child is going to have descendants beyond those you can count. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your child. Go back, I will be with you. Your son is going to become a nation of people, nations of people. You see, God meets her he knows her and he knows where this is going and he speaks into her future and God blesses her which is a challenge to my teenage self if Ishmael's children are as much a blessing as Isaac's children then how I view the other, how I view other faiths, how I view the other is a is a challenge, isn't it? Because he, they're both blessings of God. We're all sons of Abraham. To quote the song. And Hagar's response, Hagar's response to this this beautiful encounter with God, where God has said, "Where have you come from? Where are you going? This is who you are, and I know who you are, but I know where this is heading, and I'm going to bless you." Hagar's response is sensational, because Hagar says, "Ah, oh, I have seen the God who sees me." What a beautiful moment for someone who feels invisible. What a beautiful moment for someone who feels like a mistake, like a failure, like a plan B, like a nobody. They encounter God and her response is, "I have seen the God who sees me." Because, you see, God says to her, your story matters. Your story matters. You matter. This woman who feels totally invisible and totally mistreated, like her story's a total mistake, like she's the problem, like she's always the problem, she's always in the way, she's always the mistake. And God meets her and says, no, that is not how I see you. You are loved, you are known, I have a plan, I have a purpose, your story matters. And I think this morning, I want that to be a word of encouragement to all of you who maybe feel like your story is a bit like Hagar, you're a bit of a plan B, you're a bit of a side story, you're a bit of a nobody, you're you're a bit of an extra in the movie. I don't believe God has extras in his movie. I believe every role matters. I believe every person matters. I believe God has a plan. Every story matters. God sees you. And he has a plan and he has a purpose and he has a calling and he wants to bless you. God sees you. You see, this is is the beauty of this story. Even when heroes don't behave heroically, even when people get it wrong, people who we trust, people who we rely on maybe, people who should know better, people who we put our faith in, let us down. God is faithful. God sees you God has a purpose for you God wants to bless you and God wants you to be a blessing why don't we pray as we go into worship and into response Lord I want to um, I want us all to take a moment To sit before the God who sees us. And Lord, wherever we felt invisible, wherever we felt like we failed somehow, like we're on plan B or C or D or X or Y or Z, you see us. And we want to thank you for that. You are the God who sees us, you are the God who knows us, you are the God who blesses us, you are the God who has a plan and a purpose. And a path for us. So Lord, I pray now that you will meet us right where we are, in the middle of the desert, if we're in a desert, by a spring, if we're by a spring, you know, in the middle of our lockdown, wherever we are, wherever our heart is, wherever our soul is, whatever our circumstance, Lord, we want to encounter you. The God who sees us. And Lord, we pray that you'll do a work of restoration in our lives and a work of hope in our lives and a work of blessing in our lives. And Lord, maybe we've been so focused on running that we have forgotten to think about where we're headed. May we may we receive from you clear guidance of where you're calling us to go, even if that's bad, to go forwards. Lord, we want to live in the fullness of who you've created us to be. So we invite you to meet with us this morning, exactly where we are. Amen. Amen. As we go into worship, um, I encourage you to take some time to pray, and to sit, and to listen. Um, if you want someone to pray with you, then um, email him to um, email into us, um, message in, go on the website and click in, and um, we can get um, prayer ministry. But um, yeah, um, I think this morning, allow God to meet you right where you are. Sit.